to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come to support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch and Lockie. And tonight we will be covering a Super Rugby Pacific, no, Tri-Nations and Rugby Championship trivia section, going through the all abroad for some of the action happening overseas before we briefly touch on what was a pretty disappointing round of Super Rugby Pacific for round 14. Uh, Lockie, let's start with you. How you been? How's your week, mate? It's been good, been very busy. We've had um, our junior rugby running around all week, which has been nice for the school team that I'm coaching. Uh, my boys went down 50 points to five, but Ooh. they're against the top team and scoring a try was a huge deal. So very proud of them. Hey. And we've got two more weeks to go on the comp. And of <laughs> course, repping Moana Pacifica. They need a bit of love this week. Very they nice. definitely do. A devastating last minute loss for them, but we'll get to that in due time. Mitch, how's your week been, mate? Pretty busy on a work front? Yeah, pretty busy with work. Uh, managed to squeeze a little bit of rugby in there, so that can't be too bad if I've watched a few games of rugby over the weekend. So keen to chat tonight and uh, dive into some trivia too. So that'll be that'll be a good bit of fun. Brilliant. Well, dear listeners, because we love you so very, very much, we actually released a special interview midweek. I think it was on Thursday um, with Jilly Collins, the general manager of women's rugby at Rugby Australia. Um, now, obviously, I conducted the interview, so I won't talk it up too much. But Mitch, have you had a chance to listen to it? And what were some of the kind of thoughts or takeaways from that so far? Yeah, it's a really great interview. And I would definitely encourage everyone who hasn't yet had a chance to go back and listen to it to definitely get it into your podcast feed. Jilly was a great guest and was really open with some of her responses, just really um, just willing to chat all things women's rugby, all things Rugby Australia, the plans that's coming up in the future. Uh, as, as, uh, as a rugby fan and as a women's rugby fan particularly, it's really exciting to listen to that and hear what the plans are and what's coming and what's kind of being worked on behind the scenes. And she definitely didn't shy away from some of the tougher questions that Ando threw at her. So great interview. Definitely get in there and give it a listen. Thanks, mate. Yeah, she was really willing for me to just um, be pretty direct with some of the questions that I'd asked. Um, and a, a, a few weeks ago, I had written, we, we didn't actually like air this, but I'd written a proper rant about my thoughts and experiences at the Waratahs <laughs> um, semi-final at, out at Concord Oval. And I, I actually attached that to the bottom of the run sheet that I sent to, her, sent to her. And so she was well aware that I had pretty strong opinions about the match day experience, but she was so <laughs> gracious and willing to, um, to talk through what needed to be improved and to take on feedback. Uh, Lockie, I mean, Jilly Collins, she's an absolute legend of RA. And I thought it was a great opportunity just to hear from somebody who really knows what's going on. Oh, Jilly's got fantastic experience. You would have heard all about it as well, her experience overseas with the Welsh in our rival code as well. There are a few people who get to the women's game like Jilly. And I'm really glad that she's happy to jump on here as well because at the end of the day, RA is ultimately responsible to its spectators as well as its players. And it's about making that product as the best that one, the best it can be. So getting Jilly on and having her open up is an awesome opportunity. So I'm keen to get my ears around that one too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, go and check it out. It's available on all of our um, regular podcast platforms and it is up there now for you. So moving on into our super rugby tipping. Mitch, why don't you quickly run us through where things are at with our tipping competition at this point in time? 
Yeah, so after being confident last week and going up a few places, I've gone down uh, this week, unfortunately. So I'm sitting 123rd. Don't think I'm going to be able to crack into the top sort of 110 or any closer by the end of the comp. But well done to Dan G, still in first place on 67 points, or Jojo Rabbit, followed closely by S Blanco or Paul F on similar points with Nolsey in third place or John N. So well done to all those three up the top there. It's pretty tight when you look at the the top of the table. I think even four, five, and six are within a point or or mm. two as well. So a few upsets hopefully this weekend coming, and we might see a few changes up there. But if if not, Dan G or Jojo Rabbit has his name on the shield for twenty twenty three. Let's see if he can hold it off. Let's see how that one pans out. All right, as always, we have two simple calls to action. Number one. Join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is on any of our social media profiles. And lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash rugby and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So with that now done, let's move on to our next section, which is a trivia on the Tri-Nations of Rugby Championship. Let's go. All right, let's do some trivia. So we're doing things a little bit differently tonight, and this isn't the usual trivia segment where I act as the trivia master and you answer my questions. What we're doing tonight is uh, a, a trivia, a 10-question 10, 10 trivia that's on the World Rugby website that I found. So the theme for this set of trivia is the Rugby Championship slash the Tri-Nations, uh, and we can only answer one of these selection so if you are following along on youtube you can see the questions up on the screen if not we'll read out for you and we'll, we'll we decide as a group which one we want to lock in and at the very end it will tell us how many out of 10 we got right so Ooh, let's okay. uh let's dive in and question one of 10 in what year was the first tri-nations match contested so we've got a 1994 b 1995 c 1996 or d 1997 what do we think uh, I'm pretty confident I know this one, so I'm going to go to Lockie. What do you reckon, mate? I'm going to throw you in a deep end. <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure if it was a hands-up situation. Then I remembered it's a podcast. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to say, I think it's 96. I'm pretty sure they kicked off after the Saffers won the World Cup. Yep, well done. All right, 96. so we're locking in 96. Yep. Let's see how that goes. Question two, who was the first point? Who scored the first points in the history of the tournament? So A, we've got oh, Andrew Mertens. God. B, Zinzan Brook, C, Matt Burke, or D, Michael Jones? Part of me just wants it to be Mertz because I love that he's such like a humble guy and such a chilled out bloke, but um, has like so many accolades. Mert. You reckon? This is, this, is Mert, this, is the, this is the sort of start of Mertz's ear and he's kicking goals for them. So yeah. I reckon let's go Mertz, see what happens. All right, right let's with that one, A. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I, I, as right, an Aussie, I'd love it to be Matt Burke, but let's go A, Andrew Mertens. Question three, what year did Argentina first complete, compete wow. alongside Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa in the rugby championship? Is it A, 2010, B, 2011, C, 2012, or D, 2013? Yeah, I genuinely don't know this one. It'll be a stab in the dark for me. Surely you were watching that. rugby in a round when Argentina came across, though, Ando? I don't know. 
I don't know. What do you reckon, Mitch? I think from memory it was 2012, but I could be wrong. Lockie, any thoughts? Well, 2012 would follow suit for the try being the year after a World Cup year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was a lot leveraged off the uh, All Blacks playing Argentina in a quarter in 2011. Mm. They went well in that comp, didn't they? Yeah. Um, let's, go, let's go 2012. Yeah, let's All go right. with that. Let's lock it in. C, 2012. Question four. Now, this is a pitcher question. Uh, well, there's answers too, but there's, the pitchers help us a little <laughs> bit. So who scored Los Pumas' first points in the competition? Is it A, Juan Martin Hernandez, B, Marcelo Bosch, D, uh, sorry, C, Horatio Agula, or D, Nicolas Vergallo? Hmm. So who scored the first points in the Tri-Nations for Argentina? Was Hernandez a goal kicker? I can't remember if he Got to look did. at the jerseys they're wearing too and see if they kind of match up to the, the era. Yeah, I think C is a bit too new. <laughs> Um, for me, I would be going Juan Martin Hernandez, but that is a stab in the dark. Lockie, any thoughts? Uh, stab away, Ando. Let's, let's lock him in. <laughs> stab away. All right. Let's lock that in. Question five of 10. Who is the top point scorer in the history of the Tri-Nations or Rugby Championship? Is it A, Andrew Mertens, B, Dan Carter, C, Percy Montgomery, or D, Mornay Steen? Probably not Mertz. Surely um, B. Surely. Surely it's DC. He was around yeah. forever. It's got to yeah, be, Yeah, I right? was thinking, yeah, let's go down Carter. I just want to put in an honourable mention for Percy Montgomery's goal kicking. Um, so let's go DC. Yeah, the one-step run-up of Percy. So good. Yep, yep. All right, B, Andrew Mertz. Uh, sorry, uh, Dan Carter, we've locked it in. Question six. Only one player has scored more than 20 tries in the history of the Tri-Nations or Rugby Championship. Who was it? A, Ben Smith, B, Brian Habana, C, Richie McCaw, or D, Adam Ashley Cooper? Yeah, okay. So this is like, just take out Richie McCaw. Definitely not him. Um, oh, he surely scored more, more tries, right? More than 20 tries? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. All from an offside position? Uh, from the side, no. Entering yeah. in from the side. Never on the pitch to begin with. Yeah. Um, oh, God. I mean, part of me Ashley just wants Cooper's to say Ben's a bad shout. Yeah, I actually, it is. It, oh, I want it to be AAC. Oh. I feel like it might ben. be Habana, purely for how oh, long God, he played. We're all for. going different ones. I'm saying Ben Smith. Mitch is going. Mitch, let's go with yours, okay? Um, let's look we, in Habana. We've taken us with Habana. a few stabs. You yeah. go, Brian Habana. He's been I reckon long. just purely on how long he played for the Springboks. Okay, how many games he also, would have played for them? All right, question seven. How many matches have New Zealand lost since the Tri-Nations became the Rugby oh. Championship? So since it switched from Tri-Nations to Rugby Championships, how many Is have they lost? A, none. Oh. B, one. C, three. Or D, four. It's four. Yeah, we've beaten them in like at least uh, once or twice, and so would South Africa. And so well, Argentina, Argentina beat them once. Yeah, so it has yeah. to be the largest number, so four. It has to be four. Let's see. Question eight. How many Tri-Nations Rugby Championship titles have the All Blacks won? Is Who cares? Hard A, 14. <laughs> B, 15. C, 16. Or D, 17. Surely by the previous logic, we just got the highest one, right? 1996 to 2022. So that's for... 28 years. Uh, that's like, yeah. 
20. So if you think South Africa has won a few, we've won a few. You'd probably be looking at like 15, 16 or something like that. We've won at least two because we won 2011, 2015. Yep. And then South Africa, why don't we go like 16? See, 16, yeah. lock it in, Eddie. 16. Yeah, it's always C. Question nine, always which team won the rugby championship in 2019? A, South Africa, B, New Zealand, C, Australia, or D, Argentina? Oh, shit, 2019. That's a Rugby World Cup year. Did the Saffers um, win on their way through to getting built? I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. I think they did because there's a tr- yeah. there's a photo of them lined up after the World Cup with like the Bled- oh not the Bledisloe, but the Rugby Champs Trophy, the World yeah. Cup, all of the yep, different yep. cups from around the world. So, all right, South Africa. Last one. Who and who finished as the tournament's top point scorer? So for that year, 2019, Bowden Barrett, Christian Liliafano, Andre Pollard, or Nicholas Sanchez. God. Sanchez. Sanchez. Go Sanchez. You reckon? Plot twisted Sanchez. Metronomic kicker. All right. Eight eight out of ten. That's good. All right. Let's see how we went. So we got question two wrong. Who scored the first points? Michael Jones. We said Andrew Mertens. Uh, And last one, it was Andre Pollard. We said Nicholas Sanchez. Dude, we did really well. Yeah. Really well. I got right with Juan Martin Hernandez. How good. Well done, team. That was fun. That's a very good knock. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. So... Ladies and gentlemen, listening along, if you beat us, please let us know. But either way, I'm pretty stoked with 8 out of 10 for that. That's that's a uh, band 5 response distinction right there. That qualifies us for hosting a rugby podcast. <laughs> yeah, it took three of us to get there and we just got lucky with a few stabs, but that's okay. <laughs> Logic, well, at, right? this point, at this point, let's head into the all abroad section. Lucky, mate, it's over to you. Happy days. It's going to be a quick one. Not a lot of Aussies running around until tonight, actually. So after this has gone out to the universe, the World 15 of the Barbars would have kicked off over in Twickenham. Uh, we mentioned last week that Barbars have a good Aussie combo in the playmakers department. They've got Quaid at 10, Samu Karevi at 12. They've also got the immortal Rob Simmons packing down in the row and Uncle Eddie pulling strings from the sideline. Um, plus you've got the World 15 with Nick Phipps, Izzy Folau, Harry Hawkins and Corabetti. So that'll be interesting to see how everyone plays. But it's been busy in London aside from this game. They had the Premiership final just last night. Uh, they had Saracens getting up and defeating the Sale Sharks in their return back to top flight footy after being demoted. But there's a lot of teams you know, getting demoted over in the UK at the moment. Um, so maybe a bit mm. of a trend that's starting over there. Uh, in the URC, Munster took an away win over the Stormers in Cape Town. They came from behind to win 19-14, which is fantastic to see. I love an away winner in a final like that. And Munster <laughs> won all their knockout games away from home. So massive, massive. shout out to them. That's huge. Congrats to those boys. And in the Premier 15s, yeah, it was a massive result for them. And the, the 30 or so red-clad Irishmen and <laughs> Irishwomen who were in the crowd were going off chops in Cape Town, which was amazing to see. Um, so good night for them over there. And in the Premier 15, so in that top women's competition in the UK, uh, Australia's very own Laurie Kramer in the thick of things for Exeter. She scored a try, had an awesome try assist in their big 82-7 to win over Wasps. And Exeter have a huge game next weekend. So it's the final round coming up for Prem 15s. And they're up against Gloucester Hartbury. So that's one for Gloucester playing two for Exeter. So massive game there to see how they're going to go through in qualification. The Quins with Caitlin Laney, M Chancellor and Arabella McKenzie. They're currently fifth 
They need a bonus point win tonight when they play and then in round uh, 15 as well to get over the line. So fingers crossed for them too. Yep, he's definitely hoping. Fantastic. And I so don't think really we've um, said on the pod, but since we recorded last week, the Aussie men's sevens have secured their qualification automatically into Paris um, for the Olympics next year, which is awesome for the team and awesome for the, the kind of program. It means both the men's and women's uh, don't have to play like the repercharge qualification process. And I believe also it's the first time that the men have actually automatically qualified for the Olympics. So that's a great result there for them. And they don't have to worry about playing and um, playing a few more tournaments and, and those sort of things. So a lot of preparation now for uh, the Olympics next year for the team. Excellent. Excellent. So gentlemen, do we want to head now into Super Rugby Pacific or take a quick break? Let's have a quick break and then we'll dive into Super Rugby Pacific. Let's go. All right, let's go. All right, we move now into the Super Rugby Pacific Round 14 results. And to be honest, it kind of sucked. There wasn't much uh, positive results here for Australian teams unless you are a Rebels fan. And they deservedly, with their 52-14 to win over the Force, are our match of the round this week. So we won't touch on them anymore until later on within our section or segment. To start with, the Highlanders at home defeated the Queensland Reds 35-30. to Now, this was a really close-run game. Pretty significant injuries for the Reds throughout the match. Um, Liam Wright going off, needing a green whistle with... Um, I'm not sure if much information has come out about how what specific injury he had. It looked like a wrist or hand. Shoulder, I think it was. Shoulder, okay, cool. Mm. Um, might well be, but look, some pretty significant um, injuries coming along there. Connor Vest, am I right, Mitch, also received a broken neck within the yeah, match as well. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting one because he actually walked off the field and didn't look in too much discomfort on his way off, uh, but then went for scans after the game and was revealed that he had actually fractured one of the... Spine, one of the uh, bones in his neck, whichever one it was, if you C nine or something, I think you mentioned before, Lockie. C seven, um, the fracture was C7. in, but yeah, very scary stuff for the red second row. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and um, um, yeah, and I guess right that dislocated shoulder. Sorry, I'll just jump in there with that right dislocated, dislocated shoulder. shoulder. Yep. Yeah, so he's uh he's out of hospital now, and I think he's on his way home as we kind of speak. But he definitely spent the night there, and and there's. Obviously, uh, for Connor Vest, I mean, um, there's obviously a, a process now for him to be able to kind of get back and playing rugby again. And a pretty, like, it was a, in terms of the hit and what caused it, it was a pretty innocuous hit, really. Bit of a rugby collision in a lot of ways. Um, mm. Seen a bit of talk online saying that maybe it should have been carded. It was directly to head, but a lot of mitigation into that. So unlucky in that instance but unusual in that we see hits like this happen quite frequently throughout the game of rugby and this is unfortunately one that's come out with uh, a pretty heavy impact for the player yeah it seems like one of those rugby incidents where um vest actually kind of like ducked his head into the tackle a little bit which seems to have exposed the pressure just getting um centered on his neck i mean i'm no medical expert it's just what it looks like with the eye mm. and so i mean when you take into account the injury to vest liam wright dislocated shoulder he's now out for the season tate mcdermott being taken off near the end of the first half and not returning again with concussion lucky it seems like uh, the reds who are a team that maybe lacked a bit of experience um across their 23 got hit really early with these uh 
with these injuries and struggled to kind of continue within the game as a result. That's bang on. They lost their co-captains. I mean, you've got Liam Rideoff, who's been a really measured, calm voice for the Reds this season, plus all the energy in the direction of McDermott, and they're both gone before half time. So it's a credit to the Reds that they were even in this game. And they were, at times, more than in it. They were up 14-0, and then at one stage they led 27-14 to with about 20 to play. So realistically, if those heads are out there, you're probably seeing the Reds hang on to this game. But it's another away loss that slipped away from them that they really should have bagged. And even though they scored arguably the try of the season, going the full length of the field with Jacob Field, of all people, running over under the sticks, it's a (laughs) fell blow for the Reds' finals hopes. It's in a really precarious spot now. And it's a bit unfortunate, I guess, how the, the game finished that Hunter Paisami, his first game back from injury after so long off, and we were expecting and hoping for him to have good impact. He unfortunately dropped the ball late in the game, which then gave possession back to the Highlanders, who then were able to score that try, which took them ahead to win the game. Bit of a fairy tale finish for Aaron Smith in a lot of ways. And as a as an Aussie rugby fan, you're sitting there at home watching that and just thinking, oh, this, this, isn't, this isn't fair. Come on, like the Reds seem to have been the, the team that deserved the win or in a, for a lot of it, it seemed like they were the better team on the night, but yep. you really do need to ice those games and you can't let teams in with a sniff, particularly New Zealanders. And so um, it definitely comes down and the Highlanders at the end there definitely wanted it a little bit more than the Reds. Look, I'm just going to be a proud Aussie and say the Reds were better than the Highlanders on a the night. Uh, they just didn't come away with the win. And it was it was really disappointing because there were a couple of key moments in the game where um, there were some decisions or lack of decisions from the refereeing team, which were pretty questionable. So you mentioned that breakaway try that Jake Upfield uh, finished within the 12th minute. You remember that moment where James O'Connor's doing his best interpretation of a ballerina on the sideline before he gets the offload away? <laughs> um, it was Freddie Burns, uh, the English 10, who is coming across and has tried to like knock him out and well, tackle him um, out, out over the sidelines. Nearly did and knock actually, him out. <laughs> has actually collected him high in the head. Yeah. Uh, and it just wasn't even reviewed, despite the fact that it was uh, replayed multiple times because of the athletic abilities of James O'Connor. It just, it just wasn't reviewed. And also in the lead up to uh, Connor Garden Bashup's try, I believe, in the 69th minute, there was an absolutely clear and obvious forward pass from Freddie Burns, which was just like blatant. And a referee was in line with it as well. Maybe, if I'm being generous, um, the bodies were maybe blocking the view of the pass or something like that. But there was just a couple of things where in a close match where an Aussie team um, has it kind of stolen away from them. It's enough to make you salty and it's enough to make you seething. But, you, I mean, you've got to be better and take the referee's decisions out of the equation, don't you? So, mm. I don't know. Lucky, am I being a bit too salty here? Or how do we kind of assess the loss in the light of some of those decisions? Oh, mate, I'm beyond salty. I'm Himalayan rock salt at this point. There is. Another knock-on in the lead-up to that Garden Bashup try from yeah. which Huntley loses it while he's on the deck. These are multiple instances where you can pull up play for that try. But I can't begrudge Aaron Smith a fairy tale. It's so good yeah. to see. It was, I really like the call that the Sky team had with the passing of the torch from Smith to Fakatava. I thought that was a really nice moment in front of his home crowd as well. So, yes, power to him but gutted for my Reds and they've got a massive job coming up next week against the Drua who are coming off a win. 
Yep. So on that point, I think that's an excellent segue to the 47 to 46 win from the Fijian and Drua over Moana Pacifica. And this was very nearly a fairy tale win for Moana, who had come back from pretty, well, it was a pretty helter-skelter first half. Um, and then Andrua got away to a bit of a lead before Moana started clawing it back and scoring a run of points. Um, I think it was like 20-something points on uh, against the run of play. And Christian Leliafano had a kick in the final seconds of the game. He deliberately drew out the clock so it would be the last moment and unfortunately shanked it to take the win, uh, give the win to the Andrua. Mitch... That would have been a moment to remember for Lelia Fano, but they just came so close. It's uh, It almost sums up Moana's season this year. They've just been close on a few occasions and and just not quite able to ice it. And a lot of frustration from the players, you can definitely see that. This game had kind of everything. It was played at test match intensity. Both forward packs were willing to whack each other and, and some massive hits going left, right and centre. Uh, it does ask questions about what's next for Moana. How do they come back from this? There's one game to play. They face the Waratahs next week in Sydney and they're facing a massive uphill battle to probably get the win there. That means that they go undefeated through this season in their second season in Super Rugby Pacific. That's not the result that you want and the fact that the fans aren't turning up to support them, it's it's really asking some questions of what does the future lie for this this franchise. Lockie, in some ways, I would have expected a bit more from uh, Fiji within, or Fijian and Drua within this game. Uh, they, <laughs> if you look at some of the stats, they gave away 12 penalties to four within this game. They only made 117 um, tackles throughout the match and missed 20 or 27 of those, so 77% success rate. And there were so many turnovers within this game. It was ridiculous. Um, should we expect more from Fiji or when they're going up against Moana, uh, they, do they just get given free reign to play the kind of entertaining Islander way that we've come to know and love from these two teams? I think it was a case of the Drua regressing to Moana's level at that point. You see so often teams play down when they should be playing up, and that's exactly what's happened in this case. It's you know it's a fantastic scoreline for a fan looking in. You say 47-46, what a game, 14 tries. But like you mentioned, 27 missed tackles from the Drua, 20 from Moana Pacifica, and no one is kicking effectively. So they're mm. running it out of their five. They're running out of their 22. In total, you might have seen through the stats, 15 kicks from hand in the entire game. <laughs> so you're running it from all over the shop. It's under eight stuff, which is fantastic from, I guess, a running rugby pedagogy, if you like. But in reality, this is how the Drua are going to effectively drive into finals. If they want to make a maiden finals campaign, if they want to beat the Reds and secure that spot, they can't afford to play that help skill style. So I think you're seeing a team that's got away with one against Moana, and they'll know that a massive weekend in Fiji to see who goes out because really it's almost a quarter quarter final at this point. Hmm. Well, moving into a team who definitely played the way they needed to within the match with the Crusaders, absolutely thumping the Waratahs 42 to 18. Uh, Mitch, this was a match that I was very hopeful for, but unfortunately Hmm. we just weren't 
clinical and it just showed the golfing class at this point in time between the Crusaders and the Waratahs and where their respective friend, well, respective team environments are at. Is that a kind of fair assessment of how you saw the game? Yeah, there was a little glimmer of hope coming into this when the Crusaders announced their team and had rested a number of their All Blacks. I kind of thought that, you know, the Waratahs are becoming a bit of a bogey team for the Crusaders in the last few years. If there's a team that is able to trip them up, it's us. And so that's definitely what uh, spurred me on to to tip them in my my picks this week. But when once the game actually started and, and the Waratahs got their hands on the ball, they just did not look like the team that has kind of progressed through this season. They kind of regressed into what they were in the first round or two, throwing the ball around way too much, not really sticking to any kind of game plan. Players like Mark Nwanganidawasi getting involved a lot, but every time he got the ball, instead of just holding it and taking it into contact, he's throwing these offloads, which ended up getting back into the Crusaders' hands. So turning over the ball way too easily and not able to apply any pressure, not able to um, sort of build momentum into the field when you're up against a team like the Crusaders, who are good in all facets of the game, they just punish you. And that's what we saw. The, the league just kept getting better, bigger and bigger away from the Waratahs. Max Jorgensen got uh, blown out of a pilfer attempt by, I think it was Nankerville pretty early on within the match and didn't come back onto the field. Lockie, how important is Jorgensen for the Waratahs considering the width and the playmaking option that he adds in the wider attack? He's massively important, but also he shouldn't be, which is a, <laughs> yep. a funny way to think of it. But he's an eighteen-year-old. But he's an eighteen-year-old kid, and they've talked about into this year. You know, we're not going to play as much. Obviously, you've got a lot of outside backs who've been unavailable, chiefly Curtly Beal. But his workload has been huge already mm-hmm. this season, and this is another big impact in the clear out on a teenage body, and he's really feeling the effects of that now. So. For mine, it's more a case of why has he played this amount of games and been put under this amount of strain mm. rather than um, any other <laughs> side of looking at it. But he was a standard while he was out there and there were some people who put their hand up for the Tars. I'll give him that. I thought Lange Gleeson had a great game as well. He was carrying hard. He's really putting his hand up. And Charlie Gamble stepped into the seven jersey and I thought had a whale of a game. He had three turnovers. He stuck in 17 tackles. I thought he was really effective both sides of the ball. But, I mean, like Mitch alluded to, it's a, it's a class thing at this point. Six tries to three. Um, the Crusaders tipped so well in the forwards. They were able to get another pass out and really punch through the wider channels. Mm-hmm. And tell you what, Lester Fanganuku, I'm glad he's leaving New Zealand because he is a problem. <laughs> he was so good. He made Marky Mark look like a under-12s you know, fly half and tossing him around. So... Huge loss for New Zealand rugby and a big up for us going over there without him. <laughs> How sad is it that we're like, yes, he's leaving. We finally might have a chance. And then the next one through the production line. Yeah, and then through. they've got another yeah. 18 wingers who are ready to come <laughs> in. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'll quickly say was actually David Havili, not Nankable. I always get those two mixed up. So it was David Havili. Um, Mitch, within this game, I mean, it just shows you, I guess in a way, maybe the importance of Michael Hooper and the steadying hand he provides, although Lockie did speak to the influence that Gamble had. How big a loss will Hooper be, considering he's made it clear that he will be finishing with the Waratahs at the end of 2023? It's a little bit hard to say at the moment. I think the impact that he has on the team is probably a little understated in that once he's not there, we start to realize how much we miss him. 
We've got players like Charlie Gamble who can fill in and do a job at seven, but it's the other things that we don't have when he's not there. The leadership, the calming ability, the uh, you know, the the way that he communicates to the players and says we just need to focus on the next task and that sort of thing. So it'll be it'll be massive to see how the Waratahs bounce back from that next year and and who they go to as their kind of key leaders in this um in this relatively young squad. Um, who, if they look to bring in some more leadership um, from off season, will we'll be interesting to see what Darren Coleman does there. I guess what is uh, again another thing that we've spoken about week in week um, in Super Rugby Pacific this year, but the resting policy when we don't have the key players playing these games, you kind of were expecting it to affect the Crusaders probably more so than the Waratahs this week, considering they rested a, the caliber of player that they rested. Um, but the Waratahs really did not look like themselves with the few players that they had out and even with the injuries that you bring in as well. Mm-hmm. So Lalakai Fakedi and Isaiah Parisi, once we had those guys off the field, Mosesi Tuopolotu and Joey Walton, they did all right for what they kind of could considering the amount of game time they've had and the experience level that they're at at the moment. But we did not look clinical. We did not look like we had any sort of structure in that back line with those guys out there, which is pretty much what we were at in round one and two this year. Once we got those guys back, um, we started to look more clinical and, and started to build some momentum into the season. Now they're both out and we don't have our centers. We kind of didn't look like we were able to punch punch through in the back line and, and sort of get any ascendancy. Moving into a game where one player had ascendancy basically over everybody else on the opposition team was the Blues basically Mark Talea winning 36 to 25 against the Hurricanes. Talea running in four tries across the match. And look, this was a really, really strong performance from the Blues. Um, They seem to have dipped in form over the last month or so, probably not playing at the level, the quality, particularly, I guess we could actually say across the whole season for what we've expected of them for the last couple of years, but they yeah, were back to their imperious best with the influence of Mark Talea. Lucky, it's amazing. Again, we speak of players like Talea and Fayanga Anuku, and they're barely even within like All Blacks 23, and yet they just carve up the super level. Talea's a freak. He is an absolute freak. I'm not sure if um, Sean Maloney's tagline of Mr. Slippery is ever going to stick, ironically, but he <laughs> is a bloody good player. I'll give him that. And you're right. He's probably only had five All Blacks tests. Mm. If that, he came into the frame last year, had a really good test against Scotland um, where he stood up. But aside from that, I mean, they've got just a factory production line of outside backs coming through, even just in the North Island before you look mm. down and what's going on with Highlanders and Crusaders as well. It's ridiculous. But you're right, it wasn't much of a contest, really. The Blues were at their imperious, almost arrogant best. We've mentioned a couple of times about the Blues, but they do have this this sass about them, this arrogance. And when they play that up-tempo, in-your-face kind of footy, it's really good to watch and they get a lot of go forward from those really flashy backs. But the, the Canes, it didn't feel like a contest. They definitely feel like they're a step off the Chiefs and the Crusaders and the Blues even though they had that win over the Brumbies and they've blown out a couple of Aussie teams, they're not seeming to match up. And especially at set piece, their line-out was trash for so much of that first half. I think they were operating at 60% and finished up at 70, which is not nearly good enough. I know it was bad conditions, but that's going to be a real target point for any teams who are coming up against them in the knockout. So if you're a Brumbies or if you're a Tars who could be facing them in a quarter Mm. or a semi, line-out time is going to be massive against the Canes. Yep, that's a, that's a really good point. And it's interesting to say, like, we've spoken about how 
well, the Blues played. But if the if Jordy Barrett kicks his goals, kicks his conversions, then they're close to winning this game. So he was kicking at 29% success rate. So that's just incredibly poor. And you would expect much more from a player of his quality. Um, but talking about players of quality who did not perform, let's move now to the Brumbies with their 21-31 to 31 defeat against the Chiefs at home. Now, Mitch, this was a game which I was incredibly disappointed by. What were your feelings as the match concluded? I think you summed it up perfectly on our Discord channel this week when describing the attack from the Brumbies. <laughs> oh, Do you remember what you said? No, I don't. <laughs> you don't remember? Well, that's just a... You said that there, maybe maybe it doesn't fit with our ethos of family friendly, so maybe we won't go there. But um, <laughs> no, no, just no, no. Uh, yeah, say it. I remember it now. <laughs> you said that their uh, their their attack was very flaccid this week. <laughs> that's that's perfectly acceptable, chap. It, it was. Is, it means it's a deflated balloon. That's what flaccid means. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, we'll take into account that it was probably negative two degrees and and everyone was very cold out there, but. Uh, realistically the Brumbies just they've been off the pace the last two weeks they they've come in to the second half of this season and they put in some good performances but last week against the force and now this week against the Chiefs they've just not really been able to kind of get into their own game plan whether it's the the resting policy and the fact that they've got players coming in and out of position um, the fact that the games at times are getting away from them and players leading into this point in the season haven't been as familiar with chasing games they've been more used to to leading and, and being able to kind of keep their momentum or keep that lead going when they are chasing the the scoreboard or chasing the opposition, they're giving away a few too many penalties. Um, but the Chiefs were just class, really. They look like a step above at this point. And we've said it a few times this year that they're definitely the, the team of the competition so far. Um, and if they play like they have been playing these last few weeks into the finals, I don't see anyone coming near them. What are your thoughts, Lockie? Well, the Chiefs dismantled the Ponies. It was realistically 31-14. Pete Samu's try after full-time flatters the host significantly, I thought. And so much of that was down to the Chiefs' defensive pressure. So they were hammering up off their line. They were making really good contact. And then the tries that they're scoring aren't necessarily huge amounts of pressure and attack. It's that counter. It's that live wire from the back. They've got such good turnaround when it comes to getting in position to affect play off counter-attack. And realistically, the Brumbies shot themselves in the foot with those pushed passes. I think I counted three of those tries were all pushed passes. You had the Cortez Ratama intercept, um, which was Connell McInerney trying to throw a no-look pass in his own half. Um, you've got the Stevenson try, which was uh, offload error from a kick contest. And then um, Hooper, sorry, this wasn't a try opportunity for the Chiefs, but Tom Hooper pushing through the line and then chucking it straight into Luke Reimers for it, you know, in a key point in the game. I mean, those are three passes that have cost it exactly. And that's not like the Brumbies. The Brumbies have been known to be and have shown this season to be a really clinical and really patient side. And they weren't patient against the Chiefs. So is that down to the Brumbies being rattled from the force game or getting towards the pointy end? Or is that the Chiefs being able to put them under immense pressure? And what what do you reckon? Yeah, I think it was a bit of both. I think the pressure that the Chiefs were able to play um, 
apply was really important but there was there was an interesting comment that i read that actually it may well have been the selection of damian mckenzie at 15 which changed an approach that the brumbies often take which is um being willing to clear their own line with kicks um but in this regard you don't want to be giving damian mckenzie counter-attacking opportunity with the ball deep in his half because he'll just carve you up and so we actually saw uncharacteristically the brumbies trying to run it from their own half on far more occasions than you would see normally and so I wonder if it's McKenzie being at 15, which is changing the way the Brumbies are playing the game to something they're not used to. But either way, you just saw these moments from the Brumbies that lacked composure and it lacked the usual accuracy that we would expect from the Brumbies. Now, they are still, without a doubt, the best Australian team in 2023. And, and that's not changing from this one result. But it is just really disappointing that the team was unable to get the job done against what has been proven this week is not the strongest force team going around, um, but they just then weren't able to double it up and back it up at home with their this that was their final home game, was it? Or are they playing? Who they, who are they have in the next round? I forgot. No, they play they play the Rebels in Canberra next week. Rebels in Canberra. Okay, yeah. cool. So, look, it's just it's just disappointing. It's just really disappointing, and I expected a lot more from them. And I think a part of it was just frustrating because the Chiefs weren't incredible. They were just good, and the Brumbies were poor. And that is just not good enough for what I would expect of this team. But let's go to a team that actually played quite well and put an absolute number down on the force, which was the Melbourne Rebels getting up 52-14 to at home in Reese Hodges' final ever game for uh, at home for the um, Rebels. Now, quick question for you. How many games has Reese Hodge played for the Melbourne Rebels? Oh, Rocky's got it. You probably wrote an article on this, didn't you? 99, <laughs> baby. 99. Very well done, my friend. So next week, assuming he plays, will be his 100th game for the Melbourne Rebels and an amazing way to finish his pretty pretty impressive career. Um, Mitch, I'll throw this one to you. Just just out of interest, what Shoot Shield Club did he play for? Manly. He did play for Manly. And then in the NRC in 2015-16, which team? Uh, I want to say, I think it was the hub, the Sydney Rays. Sydney Rays, well um, said. And, Eagles, and where's yeah. he going to in France? Who's he signed with? Montpellier? No, Bayonne. He's gone to Bayonne. Okay. Um, now, as I was doing some research, looking up some stuff, um, Michael Hooper has played one shoot shield game. He played that one game for Manly. And uh, guess how many tries he scored in that one game, Lockie? Is this shoot shield or great? Shoot, shoot shield. Shoot, shoot shield. Oh, let's say two. Okay, Mitch? Twelve. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he scored 60 points. Yeah. <laughs> um, he scored four tries. Four tries in his one game for um, shoot shield. And so I'm guessing they're just like, no, nah, you're not allowed to play again, mate. You're too good. Oh, <laughs> that was back in 2012, actually. That's outrageous. Um, yeah, lots of fun there. Lots of fun. But anyway, getting back to the game. Rebels 52, Force 14. Look, this was um, just just yet another example of how the Force just cannot play away from home. There's, there's some weird thing going on here that they're an absolute dominant force at home. And then they like get out of 
Perth. They cross over the border and just their powers that Twiggy Forest has imbued within them seem to have disappeared. Lockie, what do you what do you say about that? Why is it that the Force can't actually continue anything or uh, get any wins away from home? I've no idea. I've no idea, honestly. But I thought it was more down to the Rebels absolutely pantsing them. That's the kind of footy that we've sort of started to love and expect from the mm. Rebels after yep. so many games where it's fallen by the wayside in the second half. They flipped that script and absolutely pumped them. It was brutal. It was brutal at times. How did it end up, I think, what, eight tries to two? Yeah. That's a, it's a thumping. So mm. great for the Rebels because it keeps them in the final spot. And if we want to talk about that bottom end of the ladder, it does make it really exciting because all the Aussie teams can still qualify in some way shape or form as a result of the rebels getting a bonus point win but very one-sided it's their biggest ever score at amy park i heard on the stand call uh mitch who was a standout for you from the rebels um yeah i think reese hodge actually was pretty good this week yeah, um one thing i wanted to say before we sort of dive into the game itself but if i was uh part of the force or if i was twiggy forest i'd be putting in a, a formal complaint to uh, Super Rugby Pacific or the board and saying we will no longer play any games at Amy Park for the foreseeable future. This is the second time this year that they've conceded uh, 50 points, the Western Force. The, the last game they played there was, if I remember correctly, Super Round against the Queensland Reds where they got pumped as well. So not a not a happy hunting ground for the Western Force, but um, <laughs> enough of that and back into the game. Yeah, I thought um, Reese Hodge at times had good, uh, had good impacts. Um, Carter Gordon again, Coming back from injury, we we saw last week that without him, they look like a different team. So it was great to have him back steering the ship. And I think, again, he's putting in a name for himself as being one of the top fly halves in Australian rugby at the moment. Yep, completely agreed. And listening to um, Michael Wells in a post-match chat, um, congratulations on him pulling up his 100th Super Rugby cap as well. A um, a really, really significant player in kind of Aussie rugby at a super level. He's been someone that has been a leader at almost um, all the kind of teams he's been involved with, has led with energy and commitment in all of his games. It was really interesting the take that he had because... Um, he was asked in a post-match interview whether or not his team kind of, the, the long and the short of it is like wanted enough, where they had enough motivation after their great win last week. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, we're professional rugby players going in with an opportunity to kind of clinch or pretty much summer clinch our place in the finals. That's motivation enough. And the fact that was that we just weren't uh, winning the collision, winning the tackle contest and, uh, we were tackling too high, riding the players down to the ground, not chopping, not hitting them under the ball. And that's that's a mindset issue. So it was really interesting to hear him say that. And he wasn't doing his one of his grumpy Michael Wells moments. He was actually kind of um, just being fairly reflective on it. And Lockie, how much, I mean, look, with your, with your team that you coach, I mean, mindset matters. <laughs> how, how does Simon Cron do this with the force to change their mindset for games away from home? It must be doing his head in, honestly. Seeing yeah. him knock over the Highlanders, Brumbies, big teams back in Perth, the Drewer a couple of weeks back when they're under pressure. I mean, they, they can clearly play footy, but one, one player from the force turned up, and that was Sam Spink, and he was mm. running rings whenever he got the ball. Everyone else had their heads down. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, really. And whether that's their travel and their mentality around it, whether it's their game day prep, 
it takes them so long to get ready. Maybe they need to get over earlier on deck on the ground. I'm not sure. But I think it's really salient of Michael Wills to bring up the fact that, yes, you are pro. You should be doing this regardless of whether you're playing in Perth, in Queensland, over in the zoo or wherever. So I I love that honesty. It's rare that we see that kind of insight from our <laughs> from any sports people, if we're honest. Um, yeah. But I'd love I'd you'd love to be a fly on the wall in the force dressing room after that game. Oh, massively. I'm not sure if Cron is the type. To, I feel like he probably is the type to just rip in if required. <laughs> um, but I mean, some of this needs to be said. You look at the force lineup and their back line's pretty strong. So you got funds earlier. Well, so Max Bury, who settled in really well at fly half for the force. He's been doing well the last kind of month. Um, Matteelli, Stewart, Spink, Kiribiji and Tia Tia. That's probably their first choice back line. Mm. Um, if except for maybe Max Bury from earlier on in the season. But you look at the front row and you've got Felal fighting in at hooker. So yeah, okay, he's good quality. But then it's Angus Wagner and Siasif Amoni. And Wagner has only played 29 games for um, at a super rugby level. And Siasif Amoni has only played 12 and only started two games. So... The front row is obviously an area for growth within the team. The forward pack, obviously, I just wonder if there's still too much shifting and changing within the forward pack because you kind of saw that's where they got beaten up within the match hockey. They got smashed in the forward pack. The pushover try for um, Dickie oh, That was Hartman, embarrassing. That was oh, incredible God. drive. Incredible drive for the Rebels. And yes, you've got a pretty undermanned, if you will, force pack with some inexperience in there. Um, obviously, Isaac Rodder coming back off the bench was a big in for them and he had some good moments. But realistically, pound for pound in the forward pack, they just got hammered, the yep. force. The Rebels were excellent. I thought Sam Talakai had his best game, aside from his big run, which was <laughs> excellent to see a tight head prop going 20 metres and scoring. He was a huge force at the rucks with his clear outs. He made great impact at scrum time and he was really effective carrying the ball as well. So the Rebels just, I mean, they blitzed them. They blitzed them, if we're honest. Yep, 100%. So, Mitch, any of your takeaways from this game in terms of the quality of Rebels' performance or the reasons why the Force didn't match that quality? Yeah, one of the the, um, things that Lockie said a minute ago around travel, um, I've just been thinking about recently. And when we consider the two teams in the competition this year who have played relatively well at home but haven't been able to to play away are both the Fiji Drua and the Western Force. And when you consider that they are the furthest placed teams away in the competition and the amount of travel that they have in weeks to get to games, I think we're probably underestimating the amount of travel and the impact that that has on teams. And obviously, in a way, they're prepped to be able to bounce back week in, week out because other teams in the comp don't seem, even when they are traveling to Perth or to Fiji to compete, they don't seem to have as much of an impact. Um, and the fact that it's it's affecting two two teams as much as it is sort of is probably a, a, a factor that we're not really or we're not kind of identifying or thinking about in terms of a logistical perspective for the competition moving forward. Uh, but the other point and last point is just the Rebels, how good they've been going this season and yeah. I don't think it's it's kind of fair in some ways how far down the table that they are and that they're only just like they're eighth or ninth or something on the table at the moment, but they've been playing some really good rugby. And 
overall from a weekend of a pretty poor showing from Australian sides, the fact that the Rebels were still able to put in 52 points is is a massive um, ups to them and uh, the more people that can support them and continue to, to tune in and watch them play, the better. Mitch, I'm going to say one final point about this match, but whilst I'm doing that, could you maybe get a live version of the ladder and be ready to show that on the screen? Um, now, the one of the comments that was made um, by Simon Cron in the interview was the fact that so many of the players are younger and they're still learning what it is to be like a professional rugby player in terms of how to do travel, how to prepare yourselves as a professional player. And so I wonder if, Mitch, your comment from earlier about the impact of travel upon the force also ties into what I was saying about kind of the age of some of their front row, um, the fact that they do have a lot of youth within their team who are still coming to terms with the professional requirements of rugby. And it, it kind of fits together. It'd be great to do a second chat with Simon Cron um, at the end of the season and, and to just get his kind of unpacking of um, where the team are at now at the end of the season based upon what he said they were working on. But what I'd love to do now is move to an image of the ladder. And so there's, there's always a bit of argument about the top eight within a 12-team competition going through into the finals. But Lockie, what it does mean is that going into the final week of rugby, we have all but one team capable of making the playoffs. Uh, I've got to admit, it makes it exciting. I'm a huge skeptic of the top eight system. I'd (laughs) love to see a top six or a super six, call it whatever, tweak it around. You can split the competition in half. I think that's the most equitable way to do it. But it does tickle me to see that we've still got the Reds, we've still got the Force, we've still got the Rebels and the Druer all in with a shot. Bugger the Highlanders, they're over here in my brain. Um, (laughs) Seeing those four teams all in with a crack, yeah, kick out the Highlanders. Um, Seeing those four teams in with a crack is brilliant. It's brilliant for the game. And you've got a perfectly sensible ladder up there. I have my chicken scratchings. That I was going just before. Oh, we I should get on. those up. We'll we'll swap it and out. I want to, I'll take I'll take a photo. We can share it later. Yeah, of how everyone can pan out and what teams have to win and lose to get there. The Brumbies are also affected by this because they have mm. really dropped the ball over the past two weeks. From being in a home semi final, they can potentially end up fifth if the yeah. cards don't fall their way and play away. Yep. So, do you want me to chew through all the Aussie teams? Uh, yeah, yeah go through the Aussie I teams, mate. Do I it. don't have it worked out as well as you do, Lockie, so get into it, mate. I got, I got excited. Okay, here we go. We'll go with Brumbies, start up with them. So the best they can finish is third. So that's getting a comprehensive win over the Rebels, preferably with a bonus point, and having the Highlanders beat the Blues. That'll get them through. That'll get them into that third spot, which will lock in a home quarter against the Tars. Worst case scenario for Brumbies is fifth, which is they lose to the Rebels and the Hurricanes defeat the Crusaders and bump into it a fully all yep. New Zealand top four, which would be dreadful. It'd be a dreadful look for the competition. So I, as much as I want the Rebels to go well, it's kind of a big deal to have a home quarter final for an Aussie team as well. So I don't know how to feel about that one. Um, the Tars, bless them, can only end up sixth. So don't drop the ball against Moana or do, whatever. It really doesn't um, matter. This is a nothing game, hey? Although it is, oh. it is Michael Hooper's last game. So... Yeah, let's not. It's let's a not nothing drop the and ball. everything. Moana haven't won. They'd be itching, itching to get out as well. So there's so much riding on that. From I'm going to call it now. Like we said before, Michael Hooper scored what four tries in 
in his <laughs> shoot shield debut. Let's say he's yeah, in he's his last his game of Super Rugby, he'll score five. <laughs> five tries for um, old hoops. He loves it. Um, the Reds. Okay, so the Reds are seventh at the moment. That's the best they can finish as well. And they do that simply by beating the Drua. They don't even need a bonus point. If they beat the Drua, they've got a big enough points difference that unless the Highlanders beat the Blues by 50, they'll be all right to cruise on through in seventh yeah. and likely face the Crusaders. Still not yeah. great. Worst case scenario, they go all the way down to 11th. And that's with a loss to the Drua plus the Highlanders force and Rebels all get a win. So it could turn south very quick. That would be for the Reds. Wow. Yeah, wow. They could potentially end up all the way down there. Uh, the Force are in the same boat, so the best they can finish is 7th, the worst is 11th. The Force get to 7th by beating the Chiefs, which is easier said than done, plus having both the Reds and the Highlanders lose their final game. They can end up 11th if they lose to the Chiefs and if the Drua and the Rebels win. It's a bit of a straight swap for them. Mm. Yep. Now... Our mighty Rebels. Realistically, they can finish eighth at best. If there's a draw between the Reds and the Drua, they can go to seventh, but that's probably not going to happen. So let's say eighth is the best for them. They have to beat the Brumbies with a bonus point, and they'll need the Highlanders, the Force, to lose. Yep. So there are lots of permutations mm. for the finals, which makes this exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for the last weekend. <laughs> and I've got to say... There is no bigger game this weekend, and I'll toot my own Reds horn, but Reds Drua in Fiji is yep. knockout footy. It's so exciting. That's going to be an absolutely incredible game. Um, I'm actually really interested to see how the Force go at home against the Chiefs, because the Chiefs are through in first place. Nothing can happen. They've clinched the minor premiership. Um, it, they will likely rest a whole bunch of their stars for the trip over to Perth. And so it wouldn't. There's a part of me that thinks, I wonder if the force could get the job done. I just, I just wonder. Um, keep the home record so, strong. Yeah, keep the home record strong. And that'd be something for them to take away from this season. But how interesting is it that a part of us kind of want the Rebels to uh, step up in where we think they're capable of being because they've shown it at points within the season, but they're, they're playing the Brumbies and we, we, we need the Brumbies to be up high within a competition. So it's like, uh, we want you to do well, Rebels, but please suck so the Brumbies can get a bonus point win. That'd be great. Thanks. Please. Yeah, be good. Please. Be good and score points, but don't like concede a don't concede a losing bonus point. Let the Brumbies get a winning bonus point against you for the sake please. of Australian rugby. Please, please, and thank you. The worst case scenario: there's a world in which the Drua and the Highlanders go through which would be crushing for Aussie rugby. And it's likely. Like, the Drew are at home, and they're awesome at home. Plus and the Reds Highland injury toll. Aaron's gets last ever game as a mm. Highlander up against the Blues, who'll probably rest some players because through, just through All Blacks, not because they need to, but through All Blacks rotations. That's on the cards as well. It's a That's when New game. Zealand rugby comes in and says, for the sake of the Highlanders, start your under-12s Blues, let them win. For the sake of New Zealand rugby. I reckon the Blues under 85s would probably smash and go well, actually. <laughs> Question right, for fellas. you both before we finish up. Yep. The yep. One, one round left in the normal competition, then we're into finals. Can the Brumbies turn things around from here? Oh, look, with the injury to Alan Alatoa, it's pretty concerning. Um, he's really, really, really vital for their team. 
uh, and they've just they've just looked off the pace. I can understand last week's performance with resting a bunch of players and kind of yeah, just not taking the force as seriously as they should have. But this week's performance was bad. Add in an injury to your captain, and and it's really concerning. Blocky. At this point, I don't see the Brumbies on current form making a final. I think that we should expect a semi-final of the Brumbies. I think that's where they're up to and they shouldn't get there. But from the past two weeks, I can't see them going across the ditch and beating a Crusaders or a Chiefs at home at the moment. So they need to really spin things around against the Rebels and prove that they're a side that's worth being in the top four to earn that right. I'm a, a bit of a trend that's forming in Australian rugby at the moment when we consider the two best, if that's what you want to call them, based on the table at least, uh, Waratahs and Brumbies is the resilience factor. And that's something that this this year, Australian rugby, we haven't shown we're capable of bouncing back when things haven't gone to plan. So earlier in the season, the Waratahs first round talked a big game about coming out in that first week and beating the Brumbies at home. Didn't do it. Brumbies beat them. And we could see for the next two weeks that they were really sort of shell-shocked and took them a while to get back to to basics and change the, their, their plan and change their style. We saw last week when the Brumbies went across to Perth and got beaten by the Western Force. It's taken them two weeks and they're still kind of a bit shell-shocked and they're not back at their form. They're, they're questioning things. They're not playing at their best. So it's concerning that when things aren't going their way, our players aren't able to kind of turn uh, momentum back and sort of refocus on what they need to be doing and sort of push things to the side and keep going. The fact that the Brumbies now have lost these last two games really puts their season in jeopardy. They were not planning to lose last week to the force. That's definitely something that they didn't expect in the table and they would have been expecting to finish the table in the top two or at least the top four get that home quarterfinal, potentially a home semifinal. And the fact that now they're, as we just spoke about, they're potentially looking at finishing with without even being in the top four. Um, that's something that the players are starting to feel that pressure. They're starting to feel disappointed and they're not performing well. And Eddie Jones, I can imagine, is sitting at home or sitting in Sydney or wherever he is. He's currently in England coaching the world, uh, the Barbarians, but he would not be happy with the fact that we're not being able to be uh, resilient and get our... Um, our, our sort of seasons back on track. So that's concerning going into the World Cup in a few months. But um, let's hope that when the players come together and do have the leadership of Michael Hooper, James Slipper and Alan Altoa all together, that we are able to put in a better performance against the Kiwis. Well, on that slightly positive note of despair, um, why don't we finish the pod there? Because it basically <laughs> is a reflection of kind of where we're feeling after this round of Super Rugby Pacific. But either way, rugby is an amazing game and let's make sure we get out there and support all of our teams in the final round of Super Rugby Pacific. Quick shout out. Please remember it is Michael Hooper's final game of rugby for the New South Wales Waratahs and likely within Australian rugby. Um, so if you can, get out to Allianz Stadium on Saturday night. It's going to be a fantastic match. And best of luck to all the Aussie teams. May the Highlanders If you haven't got your tickets sorted yet either, the Waratahs are giving away 250 double passes for, I believe, free. So if you are yep. wanting to, to come along and... and take advantage of this opportunity Two double passes or a double pass. Two people can get into the game for free. Um, do don't let that get wasted. Make sure you're there cheering on for Hooper, cheering on the Waratahs. 
And that's what they should be doing every week for Tarbar, just quietly. And cheer on Moana. And, and not bit. Moana. Not Moana. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A couple of good tries. Anyway, let's leave it there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week. Bye.